Let us all kneel, please. Father in heaven, as we kneel before you this Sabbath morning, we come to you with praise and song in our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to gather and to worship before you. Thank you, Lord, for the wonderful weather that we've enjoyed this week. Thank you for the wonderful messages that you've given to us. Father, I pray that you will bless Tom and Elaine as they bring the message to us this morning. Let their words be your words. May you speak through them. Father, let our hearts be open to receive it. And as we receive it, Lord, let us hold it in our hearts and take it home with us and put it into practice. Father, thank you so much for all of the blessings that we receive from your hand. In your son's name, amen. Now we need those prayers. Thank you, Wayne, for that prayer and for the beautiful special musics. Amen. They were both very, uh, very beautiful and appreciated the little heads up on the Gogodala language so that we could follow along because it, it means so much more and the harmonies were beautiful. And for the peace in the storm. We like to have the peace of God, and we, we need that right now as we come up in front of you because it doesn't matter how many times, at least for me, however many times I speak, when I'm on my knees there, I need God. And I hope that never goes away because uh, He is our strength. And we're delighted to be here with you and to have you here with us today. It's wonderful to see this place nearly full. Amen. That is so exciting. We need to grow it till it, it's busting at the seams like we did in the lower level of the cafeteria years ago. And then they're going to have to build a new auditorium at Timber Ridge, right? <laughs> and we are very thankful. Those, those of you that have been here in, a few years ago where we sat huddled, in blankets or multiple <laughs> blankets. You could see your breath most of the day. It was so, so cold. It, it is wonderful. We can still see the breath here coming along the <laughs> sidelines, but it's nice to know that it's going to warm up very nicely today. Amen. Well, today we have a message that is, is very dear to our hearts, and we believe it will be very dear to your hearts as well. Um, thoughts that the Lord has given us in some of the simplest verses in the Bible. And that's what's exciting about God's Word. It's, it's exhaustless. And if I thought that um, one day I would stand up here before God's people and have to recognize that even in our beloved church today, that the very first words of God in the very first book of the Bible would be misunderstood I could never have imagined that. But it's happening today. It's happening in higher, called higher education today within our own beloved church. That the very first chapters of the Bible where God spoke are being misunderstood, are being misinterpreted. And today we're going to talk about creation's crown. And before we go there, we, we want you to tell us what do you think is meant by the term creation's crown? Anybody want to raise your hands? 
Okay? The Sabbath. Anybody else? Man. So we've got the Sabbath and we've got man. There's only one, creation's crown. And so you're going to have to listen for the outcome of what is the answer to that question today? Because that's what we're going to talk about, creation's crown. But before we go there, I want us to go to the first chapter of the first book of the Bible, Genesis 1. And we're going to see something here today, at least we have seen something as we have been pondering this over the last couple of years that is very interesting about the God who started all of this. Genesis 1. And we're starting at verse 3, and I'm not going to read it all, but I'm going to read more of it than I would have ever thought I needed to read because the point that you're going to see today, one of the points I hope that you'll see today Maybe you haven't got confused on the creation story, as some have in Christianity today. But I can tell you that there's a lot of confusion. If we were to stand up here for the next three hours, we could tell you all the confusions that we have met personally in ministry in Australia, in Romania, in the Czech Republic, in Canada, in various places around in the, the world. States. And, and yeah, I wasn't going to, yeah, thank you. We won't, won't miss that right here in our beloved country. Maybe you haven't missed the significance of the creation story, but maybe there's something else the devil is coming in with some other cunningly devised error that will distract and take us off. So beginning in verse 3, And God said, Who said? Let there be light. And what happened? There was light. And God called, in verse 5, God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were what day? So children, who's speaking here? God, right? And God said, let there be light, and what happened? There was really light, wasn't there? And then what does the scripture say? How many days did it take God to do the light? Because it says the evening and the morning were the first day. So how many days do we have? One day. And then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let, the, let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were what day? The second day. So what did God do on the second day, children? Firmament. That's a big word, isn't it, right? It's kind of the air that we breathe, right? And how many days do we have now? How do we know there was two days? Because the Bible says the evening and the morning were the second day. And second means two. Right? So now, we might think, and this is because we understand English, and we've all had, well, all of the big people here have had English classes. We might think that it would be fair now for God 
who has established who's speaking, who's doing, and how it's being done, and how the days are rolling out, that we could understand by extrapolation that he doesn't have to say who's speaking anymore. And he doesn't have to say how many days it took him anymore. Because we should understand that in the context of his word. But notice what he does on the third day. Verse 9. And God said, who's speaking? Is God trying to make something very clear to us? Do you understand that when God says something twice, there's emphasis When God says something three times, there's even more emphasis. And when God says, I'm speaking every time he speaks in every paragraph that we read, there's a reason for it. And I have gone over this chapter in the Bible like I already know that. Right? I already know the creation story. I already know what happened here. But there was a reason why God kept saying And God said. And there's a reason why God said, and the evening and the morning were the first day, and the second day, and the third day. And so on the third day, God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. We ought to assume that if God said it, it was so. But he said it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass and herb yielding seed and fruit trees yielding after his kind and its seed in itself upon the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and so on and so forth. And the evening and the morning were what? And at the end of the third day, God said something here. He said... It was good. So God is establishing that what he's establishing is good. And it's the third day. And the fourth day, God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. And let there be signs. Let them be for signs and seasons, for days and for years. So God is establishing time periods. And what was the first time period that he identifies in the first Day. 24 hours, one day. One evening and one morning. 24 hour periods that go into weeks, that go into months, that go into years, that go for times and for seasons. Is there any question at this point how long it took God to create? So, we can say... I'm not having to struggle with creation. But there's a purpose why God laid the foundation of his word while he laid the foundation of his earth. He laid the foundation for truth. Amen. And I tell you, friends, we know people. It breaks our hearts. People we pray for today who are not with us today who were with us for years, it sends chills down my spine, who are now worshiping on Sunday. Dear friends of ours, 
it makes me weep. Who stood side by side with us, believing this, not just the story, but believing the stories that were told in the Old Testament. Believing that the Ten Commandments were with the finger of God in stone. And today, they're worshiping on Sunday. Now, if there's anyone here today that worships on Sunday, and you believe that with all of your heart, I just invite you that God means exactly what he says. And that, just as the creation story has been changed, even in our own church, that some higher teaching wants to take those day periods and turn them into something else, when God speaks, his word is immutable. He commands and it stands fast. And so today, you may not struggle with the creation story. You may not struggle with having been a Seventh-day Adventist that believes in the fundamentals of God's Word and this church and now worshiping on Sunday. But you may be struggling with something today because the adversary of our souls who met Jesus on the mountain in the wilderness of temptation... His first great test, that he prepared 40 days fasting to meet that devil. That devil is still working today. And he's doing everything he can to destroy our young people. He's doing everything he can to pull us off in some error, some distraction. And so while we may believe the creation story, are we believing every word that proceeds from the mouth of God? Are we living the word On the fifth day, God said, let us bring, let the water bring forth abundantly moving creatures that hath life and the fowls that may fly above the earth and the open firmament of heaven. God created great whales. <laughs> Isn't that nice? That's just nice that God put whales in there. I like whales. He could have said, uh, and God created, you know, great dolphins. Or God created, he could have said anything, but he said whales. How many of you have ever been able to be close to a whale? Quite an experience. Kind of makes you, you know, God can make us feel very small sometimes, but (laughs) being by a big whale can make you feel like, well, I hope he doesn't come any closer to the boat. Because when they go up and go down, right by your boat, it can (laughs) make your boat go down. God created great whales and all these other living creatures and winged fowl. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. And what day was that? And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Because we didn't say the fourth day after the sun, moon, and stars, did we? That's good. (laughs) You're very attentive. So how many days have happened so far? Five. How do we know that? Because the Bible says it very clearly. The evening and the morning. There is no question. When the children of Israel were on the borders of the promised land. Do you remember that story? 
They had come through the wilderness. They had fled from Egypt. God opened the sea before them. They walked across on dry land dry land. God buried the armies, the Egyptian armies in the water. He gave them a clear path to the promised land and they're on the borders of the promised land as we are on the borders of the promised land, friends. And before they entered in, there was an individual, a man chosen from every tribe to go in as spies to spy out the land. You remember that story, children? And what happened when they went in? They saw giants, giants. Now there's some pretty tall men here, maybe six foot four. Anybody more than six foot four here? Okay, that's pretty tall, especially if you're a child. But just think of a little two or three year old maybe standing by the tallest man here in the building. They would look pretty much like a giant. And that's what those people look like to the children of Israel. And of course they brought back samples of the fruit and the good of the land. Grape clusters so big that these big men had to bear them sharing the weight of a grape cluster. And we can go pick one up. Oh, this one weighs a pound and a half. This one's two pounds. These were huge clusters of grapes. Maybe the si- a grape, can you imagine, maybe the size of an apple or an orange? It'd be more than just plopping it in your mouth, Right. And when they came back and gave the report, 10 of those spies, 10 of those Israelite men said, there's giants in the land and we're afraid. We can't conquer. And the people got afraid and they didn't want to go in. Remember that story? And they were in the land how many days spying it out? 40 days. And so because of their disbelief, because they did not trust God, God said, okay, You don't want to go in? I'm going to give you a detour in the wilderness. One day, one year for a day. You you were in there 40 days spying out the land. You came out with disbelief. I'm going to give you 40 years to wander in the wilderness. To develop your faith. (laughs) To develop your faith, to bring you back in. It's not going to look so intimidating after spending 40 years in the wilderness. So here the Bible is very clear how we know a day equals a year. There's a representation. And in Ezekiel, it talks about a day for a year, a year for a day in prophecy. Genesis chapter 1 is not a prophecy. Neither was the children of Israel wandering 40 years. It was a defined period of time. They had one year of consequence for the day they didn't believe. Each of those days they chose to wander. Each of those days they chose to spy out the land. So here we see the Bible is extremely clear when it's real time or prophetic time. And so on the sixth day, God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after his kind and it was so and now God says let us make man in our image and after our likeness all these other things God spoke and it was done he commanded and they stood fast And now what happens with man? Does he speak man into existence? 
Now, it's a beautiful story. It says in verse 27, God created man in his own image, and in the image of God created him male and female created he them. And then in chapter 2, it gives us a little insight. In verse 7, it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. So let's stop right there for a moment. God did what? Formed us from the dust of the ground. This is where we need to pause for a moment. Is this different than speaking us into existence? This is the beginning of an intimacy with God that we have often fallen far short of responding to. God, who is the one who speaks universes into existence, as one man says, a star-breathing God, gets down on the ground from the universes and forms man, something he is doing to make man in his likeness, in his image. And then he breathes into man. How do you do that? Blow on him? How many of you here have ever done CPR to rescue a person? Those of you that we have and It's like nothing you've ever done before, especially when someone is dying. God breathed breath into us, and we became a living creature. Does God love us? Amen. That's the picture of God who went through the whole preparation process, creating everything, and he now pauses to form us from the dust of the ground. So we want to reflect on this for just a minute. We're going to put it in very simple terms, something that we can relate to a little more than the visual picture that was just described, which is an awesome picture, isn't it? Because it has to do with an awesome God and an awesome love that he has for us, that he would condescend to get on the dirt, get on the ground himself, and shape us in his likeness with his very hands. And then to come close in an intimate way to breathe into our mouths. So for those of us... You don't us, use that word awesome very often. No, I only ever use it in relationship to God. Because that's what God is, is awesome. So here we can picture it, parents. You remember the, when you found out the news that you were going to have your very first child. Do you remember that? Were you excited? Hello? (laughs) I wasn't. We didn't have them rub their hands together. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, let's try it again. (laughs) Were you excited? (laughs) Okay, hey, that's it. I wasn't. (laughs) To be quite honest, my husband was ecstatic. But we had not planned for this child yet. We were conscientious to not have children. But God intervened because God knows what's best for us. So, And I wasn't feeling good. That was one of the first clues that we had. 
And so I wasn't very happy, but with his enthusiasm, I soon got excited. I was jumping up and down. <laughs> and she's crying. Crying. <laughs> Not tears of joy and happiness. It's, anyway, my enthusiasm wore off on you for after. That's right. But we were in God's plan. We weren't an accident, okay? We weren't something that came at an inconvenient time or, or not according to our schedule. He planned for us. And we don't know maybe how many millenniums of time he planned for us. But he planned for us. And he was going through all the work just like we did and all you did when you knew that first child was coming. You didn't sit home and cash out, okay, we're going to have a baby in about, you know, eight more months. And do nothing and just sit around and wait and continue life as, as it was happening before. We began to plan. We began to, well, you were already excited. I got excited about it. And so we started preparing our hearts and our home for that new child. We painted the room. We cleaned the carpets. We hung special draperies. We found out it was a girl, you know. We are young enough to know, to have find out that we, you know, which gender the baby was going to be. Some of you older people here may not have had that privilege. It was just a surprise package, right? But anyway, we did know it was a girl, so the nursery was all prepared with the little things that girls like, pinks and frills and ruffles and oh, that bows. We, that we train them to like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that we, there you go, dear. Because what does a baby like? They like mom, right? Initially. They learn to love dad too. But the first thing they, they really want to attach to is mom. Understandable. Yes. So <laughs> we, <laughs> thanks dear, we prepared, right? This is really what God is doing. He is preparing for an entire week or six days for something out of the ordinary, something special, something in his very likeness, a part of him. Can we say, well, I'll just leave it a part of him. I was going to say, can we, never mind, I'm going to leave it alone. (laughs) Sorry, dear. He never knows what I'm going to say, and sometimes I don't either, so that's not a good thing. But as we, as we contemplate that, when our ch- child was born, and, and the excitement is the same with the second and the third, and we have a friend who has, is it 16 or 17 children? No. Anyway, I'm not sure if it's 16 For or 17. Sure 16. With one set of twins. And I tell you what, that mother is inspiring. She never says it's too hard. She never says it's too hard. And when I started feeling sorry for myself for three, and I would spend an afternoon at her house, I'd go home charged because, (laughs) whew, that woman was incredible. And every one of those children were just as special, just as unique, just as loved as the very first one. They don't, they don't get as many pictures as the first one, but, you know, that's just (laughs) detail. (laughs) So anyway... That's what it was like for God, putting it in human terms, okay? We need to kind of process the Word of God, not read over and say, oh, yeah, I know that I've read that story. I could almost quote the chapter by memory. We need to pause. We need to reflect. We need to enter in and understand what God is doing here. 
preparing our home. Preparing our home and our heart. God's heart was prepared for his new family. Amen. He was excited. He was ecstatic. He was beyond what any word we have to express. The joy that he had. Can you only imagine it? The joy he had when he looked and he saw Adam in his image and then he breathed and Adam stood up and they embraced and this was his child that's an incredible thought isn't it amen because he is a God of love of creation and he wanted us to be created in his image so now on this seventh day, in Genesis chapter 2, in verse 2, it says that on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. And God's word later says to us in Mark two twenty-seven that the Sabbath was made for who? The Sabbath was made for us. We were not made for the Sabbath. So we're giving you a clue here. God's crowning act. Let us, let us contemplate the words of inspiration. Man was the crowning act of creation. Made in the image of God. And these words, listen to this. Designed to be a counterpart of God. Wow! Did you hear that? Let that sink in. We've had the privilege of letting this sink in. Designed to be a counterpart of God. There is nothing else in the universes beyond anything we can see with telescopes that was made to be a counterpart of God. But us. Oh, that is amazing. The Sabbath was a day that God set aside for us. One day... Out of seven days, every week, God says to his family, this is family time. This is special time, and I'm giving you the whole day. That's amazing. Compute that in terms of human beings and how we do with our families. Well... I just want to add here that not only did God give the entire 24-hour period of time, but I want, to, I want to back up and finish that reference you were reading first. Thank you. You're good at Because I, I, really I get excited about some part of it, and I forget to read the rest. This, besides the fact that we were designed to be God's counterpart, the next phrase, man is very dear to God. Dear. That, that word has such feeling, doesn't it? When something's dear to you, it's a part of you. It's something that you love, something you embrace, something you hold on to, something you never want to lose. Man, Probably should give them the reference, too, because they might want to look at it. Review and Herald, June 18, 18. 
95. It's the reference, this little statement. So we are the crowning act of God's creation. Not the Sabbath. The Sabbath was the first designated, set aside, full 24-hour period of time he, he gave us to spend time with him. And then he, as we read through the next chapter in Genesis, and the next chapter in Genesis, we see that not only did God give the entire Sabbath for bonding with his human family, but it talks about him coming in the cool of the day, every single day, to be with his family. Now, is God a busy guy, a busy God, a busy person? Put it in human terms. Is he busy? Okay, we're busy people, right? He's a busy God. He's running universes, not just this universe that we know, however we understand it. He's running other universes that we have no comprehension of. We have never seen. Man has never discovered yet. And we will not until we are saved at last. Because we're told that we will go as the angels go and we will fly from one place to another and we will explore the creation of God outside of our known creation. That's amazing, isn't it? So here we have God who is a busy God and he gives us one-seventh of his time, an entire day, because we are his counterpart. We are his new family. We are his children. He loves us. We are dear to his heart. And he gives us one-seventh of his time. And for many people, what we give back to God in our relationship to him is generally, for many people, many professing Christians, maybe some right here in this room, maybe some give him more time, is usually the time that we go to church. Average of three hours a week. We go to Sabbath school. We go to church. Hey, we've had our time with God. Isn't it great? We're good Christians. We go out the door from church. We go home. We eat a meal. And we get into just everyday conversation. Many people get into everyday activities. Many young people get into everyday uh, recreations. And the thought of God is vanished. One fifty-sixth of our time, we give back to God a week. A week. He gives one-seventh. Is that a big gap? Absolutely. Can you imagine what kind of Christians we would be if we gave the way God gives one-seventh the entire day and it's really focused on him, his love for us, the dear connection that we have with him that we give him that entire day the way he gives it to us and we give him those cool of the day hours that he gives to us can you imagine how much we would be like him amen and be that counterpart to reflect his image it's quite a thought isn't it you see why we said We've been pondering these things, a new look at the God who invested in us and continues to give to us day by day. And what a tragedy. You see how thick this Bible is? And this is a you know, travel Bible, not large print. 
It's a tragedy that two pages into the story, we turn our back on God. We can't just blame Adam and Eve because all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And when Jesus came to this earth to do what? To buy us back, to pay a ransom, to redeem us, to give us a second chance. And when he came back to do that, we knew him not. And of the people, none were with him. And when he hung upon the cross, only one man had faith in the Redeemer. One man. A thief who said, remember me, Lord, when you come in your kingdom. The ones down there at the foot of the cross, including his own disciples, said, Lord, we thought it would be, we thought it would be him. We, we thought it would be now. We thought this would be the kingdom. We would conquer the Romans. We would have... They missed it. They forgot what he said. In three days I will rise again. They missed it. Are we missing it today, friends? I want to tell you something that woke my heart in a way that had never been wakened before. Some of you in this room today may know what it's like to have a child who strays from the path of God, and we know what that experience is like, and it's painful. It's very painful. But I remember one day talking to our son, our youngest, been very successful in his flight career and made lots of money and he started off very good with that. He was wanting to buy his parents a nice home where we could retire because he said, we know you'll never retire and you know, you're always sacrificing and you won't have any money to retire. And I'm going to buy you a nice home and you know, you have a place. It all sounded very good, but the money took him. The love of money is the root of all evil. We've seen what that's like. But I remember one day talking to my son, and at that time it was a rare experience to talk with him because he didn't really want to talk to me. Our relationship has always been so close, so bonded. I have no regrets for the time I spent for my children. I know no man on earth today that gave what I gave to my children. There's a lot of men that are doing it, but I have no regrets in that. But they still make their choices. Cain and Abel made their choices. Adam made his choice. Adam made his choice right under God's face, meeting with him daily. But this day, we were having a rare conversation on the phone because he was too guilty to talk to me. Not that I made him feel guilty, but he felt guilty. Some of the choices he was making. And I said, why? It was, it was just like Adam and Eve. As soon as they That's made right. the wrong choice, where were they? Hiding. Hiding. They were guilty, right? They didn't want to face God, did they? They didn't want to talk to their father. It's 
human nature hasn't changed since sin has entered. That's right. And so I said, son, nothing you can do can change my love for you. He said, oh, I, I know that, Father. He said, you, you've been perfect parents. I laughed. He said, you know what I mean, Father. He said, you were honest. When you, when you made a mistake, when you, when you did something wrong, you always were honest. You always confessed. You always came forward. There was no hypocrisy. He said, I'm doing what I'm doing because I'm choosing to see if my way can work. He said, I know your way works, but I want to see if my way can work. And he said, some of the choices I'm making right now, I don't want to talk to you because I don't want to hurt you. And I said, son, have you considered that it's not just about you? I said, I miss you. I yearn to speak to you. I yearn to hear your voice. I don't care what you tell me. I don't care what choices you're making. I love you, and I don't want to let you go. You're my son. And he said, well, Father, I haven't called you because I didn't want to make you feel bad. I said, but can you understand that it's not just about what you think? It's about what's happening on my side of the equation. And he said, I never thought of that. And that was a change that turned. And he's coming back. I praise God. We've never let go of our hope. <laughs> but he's coming back. Just at the last camp meeting we were at, it was Friday evening. The, meetings, the meeting was over. Paul and Carol had finished their meeting. We're sitting in bed. We've prayed. We're having a few moments together. And the phone rings, and it's Josiah. And he says, where are you? I said, well, we're at Oregon camp meeting. He says, well, then you probably have your Bible close by, don't you? I said, yeah, sitting right here on the nightstand. He says, well, can, can we go over a few texts in the Bible? Oh, yes. <laughs> and we spent the next hour together. But that day, something happened inside of me that the reason I'm sharing this about my father in heaven when I got off that phone conversation with my son that day and I, and I reflected, my Heavenly Father put the thought in my heart. You see, it matters to me when you don't have time with me. When you don't have time to talk to me. Now I want to tell you, and I'm thankful to tell you that for many, many years, it has been my custom, our custom to have a real meaningful time with God. But that day, the turning point for my son in our communication, or the lack thereof, that day was a turning point in a new perspective for my Father in Heaven and how I viewed Him. Because this is how it was for me before. When I missed time with God because I was too busy, too pressed, too much going on, even too much ministry that kept us up too late, couldn't get out of bed, exhausted, I would say something like this. God understands. I'm the one who loses out. Not anymore. Not for a long time. Our God waits for us. He yearns for us. He loves us. 
And when we are too busy, when we push him aside unconsciously, we are too tired, our God misses us. He wants to be with us. He wants to talk with us. He wants to open heart to heart with us. He wants to save us from ourself. Can you understand that, friends? I don't view my relationship with God the same anymore. And not for several years now since that experience. I don't want to miss my time with God. I love to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Not just because I need it, and oh, do I need it. Without him, destined to fail. But I'm there not because I have to seek him first, not because I need to seek him first. I'm there because I love spending time with my father. My son used to love spending time with his father. And he loves it again now. I praise God for that. God is reconnecting our hearts. And God is reconnecting his heart to his God. There's a promise that I claim nearly every day. In Isaiah 49, 25. Do you know the promise? I will contend with him that contendeth with thee. And I will save thy children. That's a precious promise. I claim the promise if we train up a child in the way that he should go, that when he is old, he will not depart from it. God loves us. He wants us to be a counterpart with him. And I ask you, my friends, my brothers and sisters, if we could flash the numbers up there for your time with God, I'm not talking about putting in and going through the motions. I'm talking about communion with God. Connecting with God. The one who breathes life into us every day. Would would some of us be embarrassed? Yes. I think so. Because if I ask you right now, how many of you are looking forward to eternity with Jesus Christ? How many would would you want to be there? I want to know. Raise your hands if you want to be there. And how many of us want to spend eternity with our great God and Jesus Christ? The quiet question in our minds is, if we want this kind of time there, are we expecting some magical change? Remember, it isn't magic dust that gets sprinkled on us at the second coming that somehow changes the way we think of God. It isn't some kind of wand waved over our hearts that somehow we now want to spend time with Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Today is the day. Now is the time of our salvation. Are we really making God our Father a priority in our lives. That's a heart cry for all of us because we have an adversary that is trying in every way possible to distract us from that time. 
But our great God never, ever stops pursuing us every day, moment by moment. How are we responding to him? How are we responding as the crowning act of his creation? As man, woman, and child who he has made to be a counterpart of him, to reflect him in this dark world, how are we responding? No, it's good. Is that a heart cry? It is a heart cry. It's as deep as I can go in my heart because it's what God is calling us to do, friends. He loves us. Oh, how he loves us. How are we responding to him? Let's respond. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.